In other words, I had a relationship with him. If we went to dinner and, and I was eating, he said, you know, I, I said, Frank, I'm talking. <laughs> and he would stop and fall on the floor. You could treat him any way you want. Any, anyway, he was and marvelous to my wife. He was great with women, too, as his marriage records will show. He had, I think, of all the entertainers I know, aside from Ronald Reagan, Mr. So, when you walked into a room, if he were alive today, when you walked into a room, like, I think you know this, it stopped, absolutely stopped. Yeah. People like, like now, just like that. I said, here comes Frank, we'd sit for dinner, boom, stopped. Hey, it's Brandon. And I'm David. We're the hosts of Late to the Party, a podcast where we investigate and break down the 1001 albums you must hear before you die. The 2016 edition edited by Robert Dimery. You're so lucky you survived an election. You survived an insurrection. Hell, you survived Chuck Schumer talking about erections on the Senate floor. And now you get to listen to the return of an approaching mediocre podcast. Like that. Every, every week. Well, I mean, I, I mean, you guys know it's not every week, but every once in a while <laughs> when we're free, we will listen to an album from the list and break down why it's worth a listen, purchase or pass. This week, we're talking about album number one on our list in the wee small hours of the morning by Frank Sinatra. Holy hell, David, we're back. Oh, I mean, people thought we were probably relegated to the, you know, the, um, wherever they put failed podcasts or um, wishful thinking podcasts is probably what they call them, right? Where For, former podcasts. Boredom podcasts where friends like, hey, I can make a podcast. And then they do like five episodes and then they're like, yeah, I like doing other things like, I don't know, watching TV instead. Um, well, if my summary was any indication of, uh, of what's been keeping us away from this particular podcast, I, I, don't, I don't know what else the people want from us but it's good to be back it, it is um i was gleefully nerding out this morning looking through notes and falling down rabbit holes of music history and f- unnecessary facts that i was like how can i squeeze these into our obviously very condensed episodes um, yeah we've been we've been working hard for you folks we have in our glorious return yeah i mean in the hindsight the pandemic, I mean, time's relative. So, I mean, and also it's podcast, right? So you could have just listened to the last episode and now this is already up. And that's true. As far as you know, you've lost nothing. <laughs> you gained um, everything. You gained pretty much everything. <laughs> so, David, what's new in your world? Um, well, um, not much. Is that is that kind of, you know, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it snowed and there was snow on the ground for about a day. So that was honestly the most exciting thing that's happened. And then it I rained. Know. And then it rained and washed all the way. So um, <laughs> the itsy bitsy spider. <laughs> it did. It, God damn it. <laughs> I just imagine David Records uh, as William Shatner giving it, doing a cover of the itsy bitsy spider. I would do that. I would do. In my impression of of yeah sure we'll call it homage when that's just a fancy word of like copying david um, it's, it suddenly sounds like your voice is underwater it does yeah oh, wow. you sound warbly like the warbly sisters from uh oh brother where art thou um, they had a guy ran over by a train 
You remember that movie? No. You've never seen Oh Brother Where Arthur by the Coen Brothers? I have, but like not in like 20 years. <laughs> I used to watch it four times a day uh, with the honor sophomores for, I don't know, like a week at a time. Wow. That's that's a lot. I know. I guess I have movies like that too, where you teach one movie and you watch it. Yeah. A billion times. A billion times. Um, any, anyhow, George Clooney's daughters were the Warbly sisters. That's funny. I did not know that. Um, yeah. So I don't know, Brandon. What's go, what's going on with you? Uh, news. Uh, I did. I got my first dose of the vaccination, so that's news. That's lucky. You jumped the line there. Um, I don't. I, hey, I just got a link. You know, people aren't even showing up. So the fact that, you know, know it doesn't a, matter, jump the line because if people are, and people aren't even showing up for their second doses, these motherfuckers. I think um, any, any report that you read about vaccination rollout includes the, the understanding that because loss of doses or waste of doses is, is such a real threat, if you get the opportunity to get the vaccination, you should get it because yeah. enough people aren't being vaccinated. So exactly. it's better that you get vaccinated than that dose go yeah. to waste. I, I agree. I mean, I signed up on like every list that I could possibly find. I mean, probably some of them are scams, but you know, just, just for. <laughs> it does, it does look like mass vaccination is going to start in the next, perhaps even week, two weeks at most. Yeah. I saw some sites are setting up, so that's, that's good. And, you know, eventually maybe we can see people again, which would be nice. Yeah. That would be, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, what have you been listening to these days? Um, well, um, my so christmas was happened in between the last two episodes <laughs> <laughs> and i often get a lot of records but this time i only had one record from which is not a problem but it was um from my mother who my mother has gifted me music i mean rarely in my life and r- never without like prior knowledge of what i'm into mm-hmm. um so the last time she bought me an album that she thought I was into was um, Seal. <laughs> so that was from like 1990, what? Batman. For two, four, 94? Four or five. Okay. So I was like, what? I mean, it was like the most confusing gift for like, a, you know, an 11 year old be like, what? <laughs> Seal? Um, I mean, even though now I, that, that almost got some good songs on it, but. Um, Does it? well kiss from a rose that whole video is pretty sweet that's a song yeah that's all i remember honestly at this point but 11 year old day with seal is pretty hilarious but anyway she got me um which i'm gonna because i don't think i've actually heard the name said out loud but waxahachie oh yeah she got me her first album um so like deep that wasn't even the new one that's like critically acclaimed everyone was like saying like one of the best of 2020 she got me just like oh i've heard of this person she's like loretta lynn and i was like oh what what <laughs> so my mom, like, i was like excellent so she got me this like it's awesome on vinyl so that was my one thing that i got um that's what i've been listening to besides some, M- some mf doom because he died in the most mf doom way well his his death was revealed in the most mf doom way right it um, happened two months ago <laughs> we and we laugh not at his passing but at no it's just the, like till the end yeah he was still a classy move actually i love that guy's i love him so i dig, I dig the style uh, what about you brandon what are you gonna listen to uh nothing nothing new as a new releases I'm, I'm still really bad at that and maybe getting worse 
but I have been listening to a lot of Charlie Parker, um, oh. a, lot of, a lot of Dizzy Gillespie. Are you um, just where my head went? Are you um, starting to learn any of those songs on your uh, your guitars? Uh, no, that's a bit outside of my range. <laughs> they're they're Davo. <laughs> my fingers would bleed. Yeah. Well, jazz scales are different. They're yeah. hard. Do you do any of that? Do you know no. the guitar chords, those jazzy chords? Yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't know. I just I just put my fingers on the places that it says on the tabs. So whatever they are, I probably yeah. don't know anything. Yeah. yeah. My approach to playing the guitar just involves noodling around and trying to figure out random songs, which is That's nice fun. because I eventually pick up new chords and different strumming patterns. So it works for me. Yeah. But they don't care about that. We are here to talk about Frank Sinatra's In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning, which is a huge thing because not only is it our first album uh, on the list, but it's an album that we've been previewing for probably over six <laughs> months now. <laughs> I didn't even write down that intro. It's just, it's just true. No. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's talked about because we thought, you know, well, let's start in order or, hey, this is a really good album that, we know about no, I don't in, in, I don't like to bring up the fact that we're teachers very often because this is this is different but it's very much a teacher move to just go let's just go hard left over yeah. here and then and we'll then go we, over there we're gonna call it organic teaching <laughs> yeah exactly we're trying to so, meet you where you're at um, but we or we got bored and which is yeah. what happened to me but we found our way here and I'm I am excited to talk about this album I got back into all or nothing the the documentary that came out mm -hmm. a couple years ago about his life and uh came back with some interesting tidbits so i'm i'm looking forward to it yeah me too um so what do you want to what do you want to do first how about we take a little like a, little break yeah and sweet. then we'll come back and do some setup some some cultural beautiful. context if beautiful you will. a little rusty brandon a little rusty yeah it's fine well, we're coming back <laughs> it's fine stick around folks I've got the world on a string Sitting on a rainbow Got the string around my finger What a world, what a life I'm in love I got a song that I sing Welcome back, folks. Uh, that was... I've got a, the world on a string, a very popular Frank Sinatra song. And as our eagle-eared, fox-eared, what's this, what do you, what would you say, our dog-eared? Because eagle eye, but if you're really good at listening, would you say you're a dog, a dog-eared audience? You're like, that song's not on this album that we're talking about today. And Brandon, why are we listening to that clip of that song? First of all, I think we should acknowledge that you, you titled the song, I've, I've uh, I've a god of a uh, the world. <laughs> I love it. It's my version uh, of crooning. That's so, how I. Oh, crooning. That's a that's a vocab word word we'll hear more about next uh, in the next segment. But that song is significant. Uh, from 1953, that's the first major collaboration between Frank Sinatra and arranger, composer, band leader Nelson Riddle. Uh, it, it gets the rocket ship moving. Because as David yeah. will run down later on, there, there's a there's a point where Frank Sinatra is not so hot, and it's this song, uh, "I've Got the World on a String," that really 
it signals to the pop world at that time that Sinatra's back and that's a, that's a big deal in the 1950s. But David, yeah. before we can get to the significance of all that, maybe you can, you can give us the context of, of the Sinatra landscape uh, leading up to this album. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't know how familiar our audience is with, with who Frank Sinatra is. Probably, they probably are most familiar with post this album, Frank Sinatra, but he was a yeah. big deal, like a, like a teen, a teen star, right? Like all the, they called him uh, as a callback to our Phil Spector album, Christmas album. They're the Bobby Soxers, which are like, you know, like super ecstatic female groupie, not groupie, but like fans, right? They're, they're like, oh my God. They're the Beatles fans of the Sinatra. Yeah, yeah. And he's like a Bieber, right? Like he's pretty, he's, you know, he's fairly talented. He's like pretty good, Very right? Good. But he's, um, he's everywhere. He's like on the radio all the time. He's doing really excellent. But then... Um, he, you know, makes a really crucial mistake uh, career choice by being on the wrong side of 30. Um, and so <laughs> they just, you hate to see it. And um, see it. so he goes through this period where, I mean, they're like, hey, man, this guy's kind of old for us now. And so they start dropping his career starts to tank. Um, his TV show that he has barely gets a second season. They're like, nah, we're done with that show. You're done. And then his, his, his record label, his record label, Columbia was like, yeah, we're going to drop you. And so it was all happening. And he's going through a divorce with his first wife. Um, Nancy. And Nancy. Yeah. And um, he's like really depressed. And he's, you know, you think he's, all right, he's dating Ava Gardner, which is part of the reason why he got divorced in the first place from, from Nancy. But um that's become a strange she you know they don't get divorced till years later but you know she just stops living with him and they don't actually act right, she's living her she's living years. a separate life yeah um so he is he is not in a good place right and personally and professionally right he's like it's, it's his nadir yeah it seems to be the end of everything right like it's it's it um but then he has this song like with nelson riddle who we'll talk about more i'm sure and um you know, gets signed a seven-year contract for with uh, Capitol Records and Capitol. Everyone's like, he like asks everybody, knows like, should I do this? Should I do this? This isn't the best deal, but it's like, you know, seven it's years. A, that's pretty good. It's a deal. And everyone's like, no, 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 no. And, he, and he's like, yeah, I'm gonna do it. And he does it. And <laughs> and he does it. And then like right after that, he went. This has nothing to do with the record label, but he he's doing his acting too when he wins. Um, the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in right. From Here to Eternity, and he wins a Golden Globe, uh, and then he comes out with two albums that he um, joins with with Nelson Riddle, who he wasn't exactly at first thrilled to work with because um, he was like some young hotshot kid. Um, but he did Songs of Love with for Young Lovers and Swing Easy, which, to be honest, I don't know a single song from those two albums. Did you, do you know any of those songs? But that you know, like I get the title is so confused that it's hard to know what what singles are on which albums. Yeah. So I, I couldn't say that I did now. Yeah. But um so he's like his back, like Frankie's back. And Frankie's he back. he he does this one song um with Nelson Riddle in 54 called the uh the what is it? Last night when we were young. Oh, and he yeah. makes it and he's like with Nelson Riddle and he's like gonna put it on I think um 
swing easy and he's like what this song is so does not work this does not fit he's like let's table this i've got some ideas and so they um decide to he's like going through some stuff with david gardner in like 53 54 55 and 55 he sits down for like five sessions and records um the 16 tracks or the 15 subsequent tracks to make this um, what he would call and later be known as a concept album. And what is a concept album, David? Well, you know, it's like a, it's like a, let, let's say, and since we're English teachers, right? It's like the novel, right? It's like got a beginning, middle, and end. There's a, there's some um, character development. There's some theme development, you know, um, there's it's a cohesion. general, there's a cohesion. There's like a tone and mood throughout the entire thing that makes it one standalone piece because yeah. but isn't this what albums always are brandon Why right so i i have a i have a i'll save it i think we should we should leave the definition there and we'll, we can bring it back up near the the back end of the show during hot takes but I, we'll, we'll dig back into that okay so, I have an opinion about that oh all right That's strong nice. strong opinion um but this is what you're talking about is is a frank sinatra who's on the he's on the uptick Right, and it's it's just really hard to imagine in the early '50s Frank Sinatra having to beg someone for a record deal, even if that record deal is one that he he shouts around to his friends and and asks if it's good a good deal. It's also surprising that it's it's a deal for seven years and not for a total number of albums, which is typically how even even in a world of singles, there those singles were on albums; they just weren't cohesive, right? right? Uh, but it's interesting that it was for a number of years, not for a number of albums, suggesting that they were willing to take their time with him. Uh, and give him the space that he needed to be successful, which is how all this happened. Like it's it's a miracle that Frank Sinatra had this kind of comeback at all, just right. based on the the laundry list of issues you just laid out. You know, and we you didn't even brush through the fact that in the '40s he was he was forced to produce these garbage, kitschy albums that were produced by was that Mitch Miller was his name uh, that he Sinatra goes on to say like I I wasn't even sure what I was singing anymore. And we need to remember, like, this is Frank Sinatra. He is perhaps, and this is just me quoting uh, the beginning of part two of the documentary, All or Nothing at All. He's maybe the greatest pop singer ever. And in the 50s, nobody wanted him. Frank, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. says, I saw him on 52nd Ag Avenue in the dead of winter and his coat's up and his hat's on. And people are walking by him like he's a bum on the street. Like nobody cared about him. And then we get, I've got the world on the string and the world explodes like he is absolutely back so this album that we're going to talk about it's a it's a kind of miracle that it exists at all right it, yeah it really is I, it's the more there's so much like i feel like we could spend so much talking about just those i mean so much has been said about those four years leading up to this um album that you're like oh my gosh right. all the things he went through and this usually spells the especially like four years five years of this that usually spells the end of a career like you're you're right has you don't come back from that the only right. other person who came back from it and she didn't survive the 60s that's judy garland like she had that many kinds of comebacks that were massive but they weren't as big as frank sinatra and they weren't as as sustainable because this is the beginning of the second half of his career even though he retires right at the end of the 60s for a brief second he comes right back three years later at madison square garden and then he goes on a run of 25 years of, of or 20 20 ish years of concerts and he's beloved by everyone. So we're talking about 45 years of dominant Sinatra, as popular as he's ever been, after being a has-been in the, in the 40s and early 50s. It's a miracle. It is. 
So that's what we're going to dive in today, into today there, folks. David, I feel like we should take maybe one more break. Yeah. And then dive into tracks. Can't wait. All right, let's do it. We'll be right back. In the wee small hours of the morning While the whole wide world is fast asleep You lie awake Welcome back, folks. That was In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning, the title track, the opening track of our album of, of the week such that it is before we get started talking about a few of our favorite tracks and other other elements of the album david we thought you might provide the folks at home with a couple essential vocabulary terms well i definitely have the terms will i have a great uh definition you're going to probably you, you probably have more to add on this but yes i think three things that we need to know and possibly four i guess um so we did concept album which i think is is something that also, we've probably mentioned in some way, shape or Definitely. form since, since Radiohead. Um, but I think another one is um, Frank Sinatra's singing style. Uh, he is known as a crooner. Um, so a crooner, from my understanding, if I can, if I can do this, please correct me, um, is that you're almost singing without a, you're singing in a way that's, there's no break between words. It's like one, it's like you're basically one continuous sound with your, with your voice. That is correct. Um, so it seems like, I mean, he, even though he's like later on, he kind of seems like he's like a talk kind of guy, like a talk, he's talking, singing kind of guy, but crooning is more like a, it, you have to be really good at breathing. Yes. So traditionally <laughs> right. crooning did involve the, the fluidity of the fluidity of the vocal line that you're, you're talking about the, the delivery is such that it's almost like you never take a breath. And in terms of Sinatra's delivery, it's a pretty well-known fact that he learned how to breathe because he was the lead crooner for the Tommy Dorsey band for quite some mm -hmm. time. And Dorsey was known for being able to hold notes and phrases for uh, several more bars than most people could. And it was because he had mastered his breathing technique. So for Frank as a crooner, it was the ability to elongate those lines of vocal delivery without ever appearing to be in distress or pressed for breath. The other part of the, of the crooner, and I sound like a total nerd right now, <laughs> but the other element of crooning is the, the kind of song that you sing uh, and the, the sort of subject matter of the song. So typically the crooner is a, a man who is down on his luck uh, and he's been left by some woman who is much more clever uh, than he is and he's been taken advantage of. So it's, it's a sort of woe is me my baby left me and, and, and my shoes are old kind of story. And typically they're at a bar or at a saloon. So crooners typically sing saloon songs. So Sinatra songs like Angel Eyes, which is one of my favorite songs of his, uh, or One More For My Baby, which like every jazz singer ever covers. Right. Those are, those are saloon songs that are sung by crooners. So Tony Bennett is a, is a crooner. Uh, Bing Crosby was a, was a crooner. These are also folks who could, without a microphone, project their voice through an entire theater. They would need amplifiers of any sort because they had proper breathing. So these songs, you're gonna get that crooner style because it's, it's gonna sound like he never stops talking or he never stops, has to stop for a breath. 
yeah, I mean, try to try, listen to this album and try to hear him breathe. It's, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, and it's a guy who smokes, right? Like, yeah. There are these stories about him, you know, if it's six, three months before he goes out on the road, he stops smoking, he stops drinking, and, and that's how he gets through all of those concerts. But it's a guy who smokes pretty heavily and drinks a whole lot of Jack Daniels, and he sounds impeccable. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. Um, so we've got crooner. Is that a, so? Is that a, is that a, would you say that's a that is a style that is pretty much relegated to the first half or you know at least golden era of recorded music? Yeah, or... I, there were there was a bit of a revival in the early two thousands. You had people like Jamie Cullum, who is he's not a crooner, but he's a he's a jazz artist who made a, quite a bit of money performing jazz covers, and now he's doing his own thing in the pop world. You got people like Michael Bublé, who still that's very much his bass sound. He's a he's the crooner. There's a guy whose name is Michael uh, C. and Cotty, I think it was, or G. and Cotty, C. and Cotty. I'm not sure, but these young white men who were trying to revive the, the crooner tradition. It didn't quite stick because the fan base isn't there. Mm. Well, when you know. see fan base, like right, like Sinatra's crooning these sad, sad songs. Uh, he basically just give a big f u to his Bobby Soxer fans that like dropped him, uh, and he's singing yeah. to the to you know people his age and older. It seems like uh, how well, is this popular music too? Like who's this? Well, we didn't talk about it. like it. It charted. It was number two in the Billboard charts right. for eighteen straight weeks. How can you imagine? Do you? I mean, I don't know. Like, do you see something like this? Well, I think it comes from, and I. I was going to mention this this later, but the more I digest this this music, the the image or the role of, of Sinatra as a sort of apologist for for young adulthood comes to mind. Like the the ethos or the credibility and the pathos, like this the sincerity and earnestness of the, his vocal delivery, it's like he is he's apologizing for defending a certain. Uh, a certain despair at being a young person who has just lost the love of their life. And I think that's very convincing. Uh, so there's, a, there's an earnestness and a, a convincing argument that the album makes from a person who they thought was gone. So it's like the reemergence of this human who is now using this breakup concept album to tell a very convincing story. And he's telling it to people who aged up with him. He wasn't much older than the Bobby Soxers that he was singing to. So these are people who grew up with him, went away from him, and now in a certain sense, they're back because they're experiencing the same kinds of heartaches and, and pitfalls that he's experiencing. So he's the right guy at the right time with the right music, and he's totally in charge of the entire process. Like he, this is Sinatra, maybe not at the peak of his powers, but this is him finding out what he can do as a young adult with all of those talents that are maturing. Okay, so, so a, a, a long-winded answer to we got your, it. your question, but yeah. I, that's what I'm thinking. Perfect, thank you. Um, the next one, probably a big one that we need, or last vocabulary word that we'll need to know because we'll talk about it a lot, is the Great American Songbook, which I don't think we've really spoken about at all yet. No, we, we haven't had an really album this far to. back. But um, it's kind of like those, it's all those songs like jazz standards and popular songs from like the mostly the early 20th century right um there are songs that are just like you've heard a cover a million times and it has people that are you know written by like gershwin and cole porter and right so it's it's interesting that we bring up the great american songbook here because nelson riddle has a great hand in uh, arranging ella fitzgerald's 
tribute albums that it's mm-hmm. Ella Fitzgerald sings the Great American Songbook, and she would take an entire album and devote it just to Cole Porter or Johnny Mercer, Mercer or uh, Ira and George Gershwin or you know Johnny Kern or Jerome Kern, sorry. So for each each writer or composer, they would get together and she would sing their greatest hits, and she made a boatload of money on those albums. But it's her, without Ella Fitzgerald, by the way, who Frank Sinatra says is the greatest singer in the history of singing. That's, that's important to note. That's important to note. Without Ella Fitzgerald, you, you don't have this collection of, this, this recorded collection of the greatest American pop music you know, in the 20th century. We can, we can debate you know, 80s, 90s boy bands and all that jazz. But in terms of the foundation of pop music, without Fitzgerald, and Sinatra and Riddle, you, you don't have a, a collection of those songs. So that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, Riddle was basically working with Frank Sinatra and then he, like pretty much a couple of years after that, after this album is when he did all those Fitzgerald right. albums, right? It was like late 50s. And Nat King Cole at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, working with three of the greatest American artists of all time at the same time. Yeah. Incredible. Um, incredible his career is insane the things he's done and the things he's he's yeah who he's worked with it's crazy so now we know Um, we know we know what a a saloon song is we know you're they're usually quite drunk and maudlin when they're singing those songs mm -hmm. (laughs) we know the crooner and we know the great american songbook what what do we do now david well i guess we have to start going through the uh the track listing here oh Um, sweet jesus let's do it I mean, traditionally, we do we do our um, what, what do we call it best or faves and least faves, right? Faves, what are, yes. faves and least faves. So, should we start there? Should we start yeah, let's faves? do it. I would yeah. love to hear your favorite track. You say that in a way that makes me feel like I just love to hear this, as in like a. <laughs> oh no, I'm interested, and there's so I many tracks to choose can't from. Wait. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? And like always on a really good album, um, I struggle immensely. Um, I do love the title track tremendously, but I think that the one that I'm going to say in this conversation, it'll probably change two weeks from now, is... um, Oh, wait, now I'm looking at my notes and I'm I'm even conflicted in my notes. (laughs) I was like, this is my favorite one. And then like two songs down, I'm like, this is my favorite one. Um, I'm going to say I get along with you very well. Oh, that's a good choice. That was um, in the running for me too. I, I did that because I, I just love that it's the irony of it. And I like that it feels like movie soundtracking, which, which Nelson Riddle does a, a whole bunch oh, of so movie much. soundtracks. Yes. Some of the biggest ones ever, like, I mean, go through we'll, we can do that later but he some of the you're like oh yeah i've seen that movie um but it feels very like that like it's like this violin following him around and and accenting all the moments of frank's realizations that he's having while he's realizing that like yeah he's just lying to himself yeah um no and i i also this is the one so this is a song where i'm like i cannot believe this was so popular like, I think the song is great, but I just can't believe this was something where it was buying into by the mass public. Um, and do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, I, like, I hear I, you. I, 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 that's, I'm going to say that's my favorite today. What about, what about you, Brandon? Okay, so I'm going to go with 
glad to be unhappy. Yeah, that was my that was the other one that I was toying with. That's, Isn't that yeah. good? Yeah, I do. Okay, so I, I also feel like as much as I can or as much as my notes allow, I'm gonna shout out the the composers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's Rogers and Hart. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna shout out the composers because I if you ever watch, which I do quite often, uh, embarrassingly so if you ever watch any Frank Sinatra clips on YouTube or any live concerts before he sings any song or between songs, he'll shout out the composer. It's going to go, Rogers and Hart, Rogers and Hart. And like <laughs> fall in, you know, it's like take a slug of whiskey and a drag of a cigarette. Like he's talking to four other people in the room, you know? So I just love, I miss when those singers would call out who the composer was. Anyway, glad to be unhappy. Nothing in that song is rushed. You know, it's, it's only two and a half minutes, like two minutes and 36 seconds or something, but mm-hmm. nothing is rushed. There's such an ease of delivery. There's a, there's a richness of the vocal, vocal tone. And he's content to sort of blend into, he's like burrowing into the, into the band. It, you know, it's, there's a trick, we were just talking about Ella Fitzgerald and I'm gonna play a clip in a second. But there's a clip, a, a trick that he borrows from Ella Fitzgerald where he basically mimics the trumpet. And she always talks about how when she's scatting or when she's, she's singing, especially when she's improv, uh, improv she wants to sound like the horn section. And there's a, a section yeah. in this song where he tries to sound like it's a trumpet or maybe it's a trombone. So I'm going to, I'm going to actually play that for you right now. Uh, and what I want you to hear is there's this sort of like this lilting that happens to his voice. And I, I think that we can both agree that it's, it's Frank Sinatra as the jazz singer. So here is, Here's the, the section that I was thinking of. Here I am more than glad to be unhappy. Unrequited love's a And I've got it pretty Oh my gosh, how rich is that? It's yeah. Isn't that it's like um butter, it's so and I think, smooth. I, Go ahead. And I think you said I thought I liked what you said with it taking its time for a two-minute song. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, a lyrical way that he does that, I mean it's not he didn't write the lyrics, but like the way that he sings it is possible also my favorite line just because it's almost absurd is um the when he talks about the being a lamb all by himself he goes no mammy and no pappy i'm so unhappy and those like that like kind of silly rhyme is like 10 seconds long right like you just know it's coming and you're also saying please don't do that and then you're like you know what i mean but then you're like i'm glad you did that oh (laughs) okay and the thing is you know he's he's doing it live and yeah. he stands smack dab in the middle of a massive orchestra sometimes, sometimes it's a much smaller unit, and he digs right in. You know, he's not hiding in a booth that's walled off from the, the pulsing sound of the band. He's in the pit, right? And that takes us back, David, to the role of the vocalist in the band. So if he fucks up, they have to do it again, you know? So we, we've got stakes, we've got urgency, and we know that every good piece of music, because we've talked about it so often on this podcast, every piece of music has to have something on the line and he can't fuck it up. Otherwise they have to do it again. So the moment is, is forcing him to be perfect. And he delivers that line with such ease and such class. You know, I just, I love that section of the song and maybe just for that reason, it's my, it's my favorite track. Well, and what you said, like the, the, 
um, he's doing it live. I, I think in my, in my, I think this is on the back because I own this album. Spoiler alert! Um, but on the back of it, it says that like there was times where it was like open to people could come in and watch him. Right. Like there was like a plexiglass, you know, soundproof plexiglass, and people could like fans could come in and watch him perform for this album. Um, that happened basically in the late hours of the evening into the middle of the night and uh and so forth and like what you said with with the the vocalist having so much power here he i don't remember what song i read this somewhere where like he had everyone's there ready to go he sings like for like five minutes he's like my voice doesn't sound right yep. let's reschedule nope. and they're like what he's like it's not happening tonight and then they go and he, he goes back and the next day and it's it's fantastic so he's also very self-aware and also um and in control like he gets yeah. to say you know what today it's not gonna work and it's not it's not in a prima donna way it's in a my voice is an, an integral part of this particular production it's not working for me today we're gonna try it again tomorrow and they all trust that even even nelson real is like you know what it's his process he makes it work he comes on time and he works his ass off. Let's let's follow his lead, you know. And he always delivered. Which I, now I'm thinking about this too of how much we've talked about because the significance of not being in a contract that requires, you know, like what we have with the Beach Boys, right? Where like you need to put sure, out two albums album. a year, and right. and that's what so much of early um, and rock and pop, and it was like you just got to get you just got to get out the hits and more modern music that we listen to too is like bands are coming out with albums every three four years common like commonly six sometimes yeah sometimes or it's like d'angelo where it's like yeah give me 20 years and i'll I'll come up with one of the best albums of the of the decade um and then go dark again yeah and then go dark again um but no one expected this of him so he had the time to do it right so he's got he's got that he's got that time he knows exactly what he wants um and he's given the the time and the people to work with to support that. So, David, where do you where do you think he falls uh, in the in the world of traditional vocalists? I'm not I'm not talking about pop singers from you know 1980 on, let's say, but in terms of people like Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughan and, and even like the the other belters like Barbara Streisand or Judy Garland or Aretha Franklin or Really, Holiday wasn't a belter, but one of the great American singers. Where does Sinatra sort of fit for you in that world? Is he in that conversation? It's so hard because, like we said, crooning is kind of an outdated thing, right? And also, he's so much himself. Like, he's... Yeah, that's like, a good point. Like, there's no one that's... If you impersonate Frank Sinatra, you'd sound like you're impersonating Frank Sinatra. You know what I mean? Like, if you're, right. if you're it, there's no, it's hard to be inspired by him, I think. I could be wrong, but I feel like it's, he's such its own. I think my, Michael Bublé is the person who comes as close to it as I've seen right. it done successfully. Right, but he doesn't have the, I mean, he's still really popular, right? Or was at the time. He's like, still, he, he's working. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't think he's yeah. hungry, you know. Yeah, I think um, he's making moves. I I think I think his what he was able to do in terms of production and 
concept and the concept album and that whole idea of like having a vision and, and a singular vision and trying to execute it is makes him a part of that conversation in terms of like vocal performance i don't yeah. know yeah um and i don't even think and, and i'm not even the best at you know like i'm not the best judge of well you know i know if it sounds good i guess but i don't know if it's like oh that was yeah, technically I mean, good but i still i still feeling. think yeah i know i just don't yeah i think it's this album particularly stands out for all from other things this feels the most genuine of anything yes he puts out. yes I think we, we forget though that he does have, and he takes advantage of it more in his later years because he's performing live a lot more, but he does have pipes that he can belt. The, the crooner is, they're known for their subtlety and the, the understated performance, sure, but the crooner can also unleash a, a verbal, a vocal performance that's, that's rather, I was gonna say girthy and regret it and now I do, that's uh, rather strong. So I don't know. I, I think that he's in top 15 consideration for greatest, greatest American singers. But, but that's debatable. And, right. And I, and I think that this album puts it front and center with a more minimalist um, arrangement. And yeah. it's, there's, some, there's some, a bunch of songs that are pretty small in terms of um, who's a part of, who, in terms of um, the orchestra and everything. Right. Um, and the first I think Nelson Riddle. Yeah, it doesn't take over I mean, I don't think anyone would be like, oh, I listened to this album for the, you know, like <laughs> the instruments. For the oboe. Yeah, you know, there's some really good George Van Epps guitar in there, but still it's like, it's sure. more um, complimentary. Sure. It definitely feels like it's like, all right, we're just going to sneak in and sneak out. And the whole thing is really just listening to, to Frank sing. It's true. Uh, favorite tracks not on this album. So favorite Frank Sinatra tracks. <laughs> I, had, I had such a hard time I had to, because I even gave you a heads up what's your I know but like what's your relationship with Frank Sinatra mine yeah I listen to a lot of Frank Sinatra always so your whole here's life my, here's my relationship to Frank Sinatra <laughs> it's I, I have it in two stories so I spent a lot of time a whole lot of time with my great-grandmother uh, for the last 10 or 15 years of her life and she was obsessed with Frank Sinatra she lived on the west coast for a great portion of her retired life spent a lot of time in Vegas when Sinatra was back in Vegas, like the last 20 years of his life. Mm -hmm. So I've listened to a lot of uh, Frank Sinatra with her. And then uh, the song Space Cowboys, the movie Space Cowboys, you know that movie? With, yeah. Like, Clint Eastwood and yeah. uh, who was that? Who's the other guy? Tom, Tommy Lee Jones. Mm -hmm. Anywho, uh, Fly Me to Donald the Moon. Sutherland? And Donald Sutherland, yes. <laughs> and Marsha Gay Harden. Wow, what a cast. <laughs> And like James, uh, what's his name? Rockford Files guy, James uh, Garner. Gardner. Yeah. <laughs> that movie is ridiculous. Whatever the case, Fly Me to the Moon is featured heavily in that, that movie and it rekindled my love of Frank Sinatra. So I really dig Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack, obsessed with Sammy Davis Jr. and Ocean's Eleven, the whole shebang, like the myth of of the cool cats in the you know they might have been racist as could be but sure. the style was yeah was impeccable and nelson riddle does the soundtrack for oceans 11 too right like it's, it's all coming together but anyway i i know the frank sinatra catalog pretty well so which one is so fly me to the moon is not my favorite track okay <laughs> no my favorite track is actually uh it's angel eyes 
and it's it's featured on Sinatra at the Sands, which you and I have listened to a couple times together before. That song had he played that song at the end of his first retirement concert at the end of the '60s, and he had grown people weeping in the audience because it was so good. And the motherfucker smoked a cigarette during the entire song and didn't miss a note. It was ridiculous. Find it on YouTube. It will make you uh, you you will shudder at how cool it was. That song's amazing. It's a, it's a saloon song, so it's a it's crooner at his best, closing out the show. My other favorite song by him is uh, "One More for My Baby." And just as soon as karaoke, you know, doesn't equal sure death, I'm gonna sing that song at a karaoke. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. I can't wait. Um, I, I was like looking back because my knowledge of Frank Sinatra is not nearly even close, or I would even consider somebody that knows a lot about Frank Sinatra in terms of his catalog. I know the big big ones, right? um that everybody else knows and so i look back at those and i'm like oh i know that song i like no wait i actually don't like that song or like oh i know that song it's a frank oh i don't know that song. you know like i um like i like parts of it like do i actually like summer wind i don't know um but i've heard that song a million times because my parents had like a frank sinatra album but like a later years frank sinatra album and he might have done a duet album i don't know well he's done a couple duet albums and i think my parents had those and so i listened to these albums and the versions of these songs from later in his career so um it's interesting to hear yeah find me in the moon i do like you know like luck be a lady is oh that's a good one yeah it's a great song um you know that's in mrs doubtfire and so I have like a lot of movies, like you're like you know, yours is yours is an old man spaceship movie, um, conspiracy, a really movie good movie. Um, and then you know Frank Sinatra, and then like Toy Story, like oh, I just have like a movie linked to all of these. So I feel like some of these movies are played to oblivion that I'm having trouble saying I really love that song. Right, in my way, I think is overrated. Oh God, I hate that and, song. And. I do like Strangers in the Night, but that seems like a silly song. <laughs> so I guess what I'm going to say is uh, Penny's from Heaven uh, when he does it. With, Penny's from Heaven. <laughs> I'm going to say Penny's from Heaven when he does it with the combat, uh, Basie Orchestra. And um, yep, that's what I'm going with. That's it. That's my favorite. <laughs> I think that even the most uh, uninformed listener, Frank Sinatra listener, is going to <laughs> consider your choice. It's so bizarre. Penny uh, from Heaven. Listen to it. It's good. Um, it's a good song. New York, New York. That's no. life. No, those are, I, I feel like they've just they've just been played to like I've heard them in like pretty much every venue that they there's nothing left there's you know it's like a rubber band that's been just stretched too much like I don't feel like it's got all of those later later career songs I don't have as much love for because oh, gosh they've lost it for me I've okay. only seen them in the reference of like pop culture or commercials and so therefore they feel silly. Okay, I, I got you, you can bring me back. You know, you can you can bring me back, but I'm just... no. I I I'm I'm with it. I'm with it. Uh, sh should we move on to least faves, or should we give the give the audience? Let's do a break. Okay, let's, let's we'll do, do some penny we'll do a <laughs> <laughs> Oh 
No, we should probably listen to a song from this album, huh? All right, right, we'll be right back. I get along without you very well, of course I do, except perhaps in spring. Welcome back, everyone. You've just listened to my personal favorite song from this track. Uh, from this album i got along without you very well um so yeah you're welcome uh i guess that is a good track it's good it's it's really good and you can definitely hear like it sounds like a soundtrack from that from that era which uh, several songs are on here do that and wonder wonder why uh nelson our good our good friend nelson uh you know his his middle name is smock I did not know that Nelson there Smock you go. Riddle. Nelson Smock Riddle. Um, yeah, he did. He did like you know thirty soundtracks, including the Batman TV show um, soundtrack, and um, won several Oscars and Emmys and all kinds of Grammys. He's like, he's quite a guy. Anyway, <laughs> so I guess we should talk about all the tracks we don't like on this. Do you this. think his friends ever called him Nelly? Um, he looked like he could be a Nelly. Totally. Not a nervous Nelly though, just like no, a, like no, a cool no. guy. Like I'm Nelly. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's Nelly. <laughs> Nelly's here. Are yeah, we? you know, you know how people are. That's what they do. You were right to transition us, David. Least no. favorite tracks. Uh, what do you what do you got? Well, see, I I have I have here. I don't even know if I have reasons why. I have this one. I'll never be the same. It's like the second to last track. Yeah. Um, is it good? <laughs> It's fine, I think. Is it bad? I don't know. It's fine. It it does really feel like a film score. Not not as a bad thing. That's just a that's just a comment on it. Um, meh. Okay, it's fine. Yeah. How about you? Well, I was going to say, uh, let's see, where is it? I was going to say, ill wind. Because I mean, it's it's got like an interesting bass line, but I mostly found it boring until I got to the trumpet solo. Yeah, I wrote that down. Yeah. So like, I mean, let's see if I can find it. It's I'm the s- only song with an instrumental. I yes, think. it is. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm going to play a little a little clip. Got windows coming out of my ears here. I'm going to play a little clip for you because I was thinking, okay, it'll win. It's man. And I, like you, David, was looking for a reason to, or to not like a song because like a lot of these songs are good. They're fine. Uh, but... It'll win. I, I can't call it my least favorite anymore because it's amazing. So let's check out a bit of <laughs> what a what a workaround there. What's your least favorite? Well, it's this one, but actually, <laughs> twist. <Yeah>. So, it's not. <laughs> so let me just cheat a little bit and listen to another song that I like. So listen to the solo. That's not the solo. We're gonna skip around a little bit. Here's the solo. You hear that, and then we rewind just earlier in our show, and we we're talking about Frank Sinatra or the vocalist as an instrumentalist, right? That they are just as much a part of the musical production 
as the rest of the orchestra. And then you hear that trumpet solo and you think, well, that's where he got it from. And that's the motif that they're working with. And, and it just sort of synergizes. So yeah, I totally cheated. Illwind was originally gonna be my favorite. And then I heard it's, that trumpet solo and I thought, yeah. damn, like how smooth is that, you know? But I also, I mark that as also, I think his voice seems to be the most lovely here, mm -hmm. honestly. Um, and it's also, it's pretty jazzy, right? It's like a, it's a it jazz song. Um, so I'm gonna go with, as my actual least favorite uh, track, I'm gonna go with It Never Entered My Mind. Uh, and it's not that it's a bad song, but it's sort of made pedestrian by the other performances that are sort of, that are bookending it. So Dancing on the Ceiling on the other side of It Never Entered My Mind doesn't get nearly enough attention. That song is great. Uh, I think you'd be better served listening to the Miles Davis version of It Never Entered My Mind because that version will leave you in a pool of your own tears. And it sounds, <laughs> it sounds nothing, <laughs> I'm totally serious. Uh, and it sounds nothing like this version. This version is, is much too happy considering the nature of the song. Mm. So I gave, I gave an answer, but I also cheated and snuck in a second favorite track. You do that, Brandon. That's your thing, Brandon. <laughs> I know. You hey, I'm just That's using it. It's half my show. Yeah, you're, and you're trying to, you know, the audience has an expectation and you're you're meeting it. And I am. Often. And they like to hear the tracks, you know. They do. They do. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about Best Time to Listen? Um, I mean, it's weird to say anything other than in the wee small hours of the morning, right? Um, I think like a, like a, let's say after dinner, night, Definitely. Yes. kind of thing uh it's very introspective it's very it's not, I don't know, it's not, it's not really something you put on to listen to with a bunch of people um it's yeah yeah i'd say late night even though i do love the wee small hours um but like in general but i think late after dinner yeah i would say i i wrote down a bar with low lighting uh, or if you and preferably you want to sit at the bar near the end, you know, but if you're in a pinch, you can sit at a corner table out of the way out of the light. Uh, I don't smoke cigarettes, but if there was a, a lit cigarette somewhere in the scene, I'm not going to be mad about it, you know. Uh, <laughs> but if and if we're in the world of, of Miss Rona still and you're at home, I agree with you, David post dinner uh, with a whiskey, maybe a book, you know, but if it's a book make make sure it's when you've read before so you're doing some active listening. Uh, certainly, it should be it should be nighttime yeah that's my answer um this album is when i when i think of like the tracks as a whole and which mm -hmm. ones stand out it's harder because of i don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing but i think the concept is so spot on throughout the whole thing that some of these tracks and also they're only like two and a half minutes long mm -hmm. that they're almost like fading memories. By the time you get like two songs past them, you're like, I forgot what I listened to. I forgot what that previous song was. Or if you just, you can have it in the background and kind of it all blends together into one kind of, you know. Right, and we've been, we've been having these conversations, I guess since the beginning about what counts as pop music because Tom York once said, we're not a rock band, we're, we're pop stars. We make pop music. And people are like, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, and in our own way, Joni Mitchell says that kind of thing. And so does Harry Nielsen and certainly Taylor Swift. So on down the line, we've been having a conversation without knowing it really, <clears throat> except in the case of Taylor Swift about what constitutes pop music. And I think this constitutes a pop album, especially in the 1950s and, and the pop single or the pop song, it's a snapshot right? It's a, it's a fleeting memory. It's like a flashback. There's something shimmery about it. 
and that's why some of these songs, I think, as you accurately describe them, are fleeting memories. They are just these these shimmering snapshots of a person who is in love or out of love or longing for love and just bleeds into the next, sort of like the way a crooner sings. Hey, look, metaphors. Hey, wow. <laughs> and so I, I wonder with with because this is like the first concept like first well one of the first full concept albums like this uh, that wasn't just made a bunch of hits that people would put in jukeboxes but it was also intentionally supposed to be released on a 12-inch record which was pretty new to the industry so it would all be on two sides right mm-hmm. um but instead i think they released it initially as like seven inch records which i don't those haven't even existed for like 60 years <laughs> um so he was like four discs right so it was like four songs per side and it was like all cut up but he really wanted it to be on a 12 inch so it was like one record you know unity like, right um, there's cohesion yeah he wanted that but they also like the record company then like really did it dirty over the years do you know anything about no i don't i don't like it was maybe 62 was when they re-released it but then they like took off two songs, three songs, right? They were, they were just removed it. And, they, and then they called it something else. What? So they weren't even, tr- I guess like this idea of concept album being an album was still so new that people didn't really count it as um, like the integrity of keeping the piece together, right? It was just like, oh, we'll just get some songs and put some songs here and put some songs here. So they re-released it in like 62, I think, um, missing some songs and then they did it again in know, let, me, let me get the straight facts here it's like insane so okay 55 16 songs everything's good um and then 62 they abridged it so they cut it down to 12 songs um what? and they screwed along and then, then they um even added some different like they changed the cover and then in 1970 they trimmed it all the way down to 10 songs and um, they changed the title and they called it basically just put like, what is this thing called love slash the night? We oh, call yeah. It. So um, it's just like a mashup, basically. Ooh. And then they kept on re-releasing it. Uh, finally, it wasn't re-released again until 78 as a full 16 track album. So if you didn't buy the album for, you know, be like, you know, right. in, in released, you're missing half of this album. And it's not even treated as the concept album that it actually was intended to be. And they fucked around with it by like, oh, we're going to put reverb on these songs, like in the 70s and 80s. And they're like, wait a minute, what? And they why? Like, oh, we found other dubs, or other masters. We can't find the original ones that they use in the album. So but these are fine. We're just going to use these. And they just are using that. I mean, I'm not even kidding. Like they, they think they re-released it like 20 times over, over 50 years. Yes. They didn't actually get one that actually was the same as the original until 1998. And that's when the remasters happen again. Yeah. Which Isn't that is insane? Like, yeah. It, it's insane. They just kept on, and I guess like it, people just didn't know what to do with this album. Well, it, that... it, I, I don't think it was that. I, it becomes more about the album as commodity, not the album as art. So we know, and I, I believe you mentioned this, maybe it was during one of our breaks, that Sinatra painstakingly sits down and works on the track listing. And he's responsible for not only the concept or the vision of the kinds of songs, but also like the order and manner in which they appear. So to have that work unraveled in several different iterations, that's just disrespectful. But I don't think it was because they didn't know what to do with it. I think it's because they were trying to find different ways to make money out of it because he what, his album sales post-1960s were not great. 
Well, this album didn't even go gold until like the nineties. <laughs> but I'm saying if you're looking for ways sure, to yeah, create yeah, yeah. the magic of Sinatra at his yeah. peak, which this is, you know, around that area, you try to repackage songs and different styles that that worked for him in the past. It didn't, but that's what you're doing. If you're a massive record company, you've got money to spend. I guess like you abridge people abridge classics, right? So yeah, this is essentially time. it's essentially the music version of that process so while we're on the topic uh would you will you do own this on vinyl why what do you like about we'll we'll ask you that and then i'll give my my opinion what do you like about owning this on vinyl um because i think that you can't uh, many of these songs do not like just you can't listen to on their own i think like because of how short they are and also how like so seemingly it is just they're just mood songs that they really fit with the rest of it. Like if I feel if I hit if I hear a two and a half three minute song of just like, I mean, half of these songs like Deep in a Dream or something, which I really like that song Deep in a Dream. But I don't know. I feel like it needs to have if there's one, there's got to be two more or three. You know, like three oh, okay, total. yeah, sure. So and then I might as well listen to it. It's nice because it's a consistent mood all the way through. You know what I mean? It's like you know what you're going to get all the way through. It's not like a greatest hits album that'll just like bounce up and down with tone and mood. It's, it's like a mix, like a mixtape. It's like rough life. Um, yeah. So that's one reason. Man, that's probably the reason why I really like having it on vinyl. I don't think I will own this on vinyl. And I, again, love Frank Sinatra. I love singing along to Frank Sinatra. Uh, we've had you over at least once and this has been playing on vinyl while we were, we were having uh, adult cocktail hour. But I don't, I'm thinking, no, I'm, I'm thinking I'm not gonna, gonna get this one on vinyl. If only because the next album, Songs for Swinging Lovers, that one's got You, you Make Me Feel So Young. Sure. It's got, it's got I've Got You Under My Skin. There are other Sinatra albums that I, that I like more. You know, We, Sm- we Hours is it's definitely worth repeat listens, but I'm, I'm cool with Spotify giving me that experience. Well, and this is the one Sinatra album I do own. And I do think like going back to my, seeming aversion to popular Sinatra songs is I feel like those songs have been ruined for me that this feels completely separate from that Sinatra that's a good point that I that I think that all those all the things like all the pop culture all like my parents playing it all all of um the over like going to a Yankees game and having them flip and play at every single home game um and then living in New York where it's like if you don't like Frank Sinatra or Billy Joel then they try to you know kick you out of the city I think it's like a that's like we're on the residential test <laughs> do you like Billy Joel yes or no oh gosh <laughs> you have to leave answer um, correctly so I think like this feels completely separate from all of that like I I get it's like a completely out of context Frank Sinatra that I enjoy okay that makes sense I I do get that I and if someone gifted this to me this is certainly on that along those lines of mm-hmm. I would not only accept it gleefully but I would I would add it proudly to my collection uh and I'm sure there'll be albums eventually that that's not the case for I just yeah. I wouldn't go out and get it myself you know but, and, and I almost uh, did once but no it sounds Brandon it sounds good I have like the 20, the 2016 edition that actually is not like shitty and it sounds really, really good. So, you know. Okay, David, who's your auto MVP? 
Can it be anybody else besides Nelson Riddle? I don't know. No. Um, <laughs> no. He, I, I think Nelson Riddle is awesome on this. Um, I really think he took some. And I, I started like listening to alternate versions of like Mood Indigo and alternate versions of. Um, uh, I got along with you very well. I think I think listening to, and like seeing what he did with the arrangements to fit into what Sinatra wanted to do with his album is really great. Mm-hmm. Um, so and no ego, right? Like he's just no. There's no ego. No, it's not like you know the horrible demon of Phil Spector, where he's like, I mean, he's that was producer, but um, you know, still he seems like he was definitely there to work with and support. Um. Frankie on this. Um, so yeah, and I, and I think now I'm gonna like really go, I can see also in this research seeing how many other things that he's worked on that I'm familiar with. I have like a new appreciation and I'm gonna go back and start listening to all the, I love soundtracks. So going back, I actually do have the Great Gatsby soundtrack that he did. So go back and listen to these in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the answer is, is, no, is Nelson Riddle and it's no contest. But by the way, Nelson Riddle is the correct answer to a question during a round of Jenga Pursuit. You ever played Jenga Please. Pursuit? Uh, no, I have not. <laughs> Jenga Pursuit is a drinking game that Braden and I made up uh, at Civil Life Brewing Company a couple of years ago. Uh, oh, and the answer, man, was, the that. question was like, uh, what composer worked with Linda Ronstadt in the 1980s on her two albums, What's New and something else? And I was like, oh, it's Nelson Riddle. He's like, why the fuck would you know that? <laughs> Nelson Riddle. But there's a reason why that he was the leader of a band of a decade's worth of Sinatra's work, right? There's a reason why he arranged and conducted all of Ella Fitzgerald's major American songbook collection uh, output. The man knew how to put together a band and, and without Riddle, this album does not bounce. It doesn't have the sort of, I keep going back to the word lilting. Uh, there's a lilting quality to it that I think his compositions or his arrangements, I should say, they bring to this. And Sinatra, without Riddle in his corner, doesn't feel free to deliver perhaps his most complete album to that of his career to that point. You know, he Sartre is experiencing no fear. And that was it Nina Simone describes freedom as being no fear. So like he is free uh, to, to totally express himself as an artist because he's got Nelson Riddle as the ultimate, ultimate parachute. And he's, he can't fail. Um, I really hope we do some more Nelson Riddle albums. I hope there's some more on this list. I hope um, that they are not Linda Ronset albums because she's so boring to me. She is. I just, I, I know she's great, whatever. Just, There'll be some Ella Fitzgerald, I'm sure, on here. So um, At least one. Maybe there's an Ella and Louie album. Maybe a Nat King Cole album, too. Or but the thing about Ronstadt is Martin. that he, he worked with her and he won, he won two Grammys, like, in a row. Those went platinum, both of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then he passed away. So like yeah. he's a, this man's legit, and he was working for you know, sixty years, basically. Yeah. All right. Uh, should we should we take a break and then come back and, and wrap things up a bit? Beautiful. Love it. Thanks, folks. Stay with us. Lovers refrain. You're so appealing that I'm soon revealing my love. Welcome back, folks. That was Deep in a Dream uh, from the album of the week in the wee small hours of the morning. We are just about to wrap up. I've gone full NPR voice, David. 
we're just about to wrap up this particular episode. We're so glad to be back and we hope to distribute and produce or produce and distribute more episodes in the near future. But before we leave, David, you got any unpopular opinions, any hot takes? Ooh, I mean, other than like, I'm not the biggest fan of Sinatra and I do love this album uh, that I've already expressed before. But in, at the moment, I think I really liked this version of Mood Indigo more than most versions of Mood Indigo. Including the the original by Duke Ellington, by Sir Duke himself? Honestly? What, are you stoned? Maybe. <laughs> to the first question. <laughs> um, uh, it's David. really, he does such a good job with this one. This is a good version. Um, Folks, it's so, he he's, it. so, he's so sad in this. And I think that it, it really adds to that. The you know, what the song is about. Fair. Um, That's it's fair. Slower, it's slower. It's sadder. The strings are great. Um, yeah. So that's my hot Vo- take. Vocal dexterity is top notch. Yeah, like he's, it is. He's really stretching the range of his voice. All right. You make a you make a fair point. Except you're talking about wrong. <laughs> yeah. You're you're wrong. <laughs> it's the issue. You're talking about the father of. American jazz music, like not even Louis Armstrong can can stand up to the American songbook of Duke Ellington. So to say that someone's, I don't know. Yep, that makes it a hot take, yeah. Brandon. That, that's, that's right, you're right, David. You are absolutely right. My hot take is really just a, a tepid take. And that's just, is this actually a concept album? I mean, and I guess it is because we defined the concept album earlier as being a cohesive piece that has similar themes and motifs. Uh, and we do start to see after this album a collective moving away from just singles and more toward complete works. So sure, like, but the count, as I said to you a couple of minutes ago, the concept is let's make an album and let's make it in a way that actually makes sense and we'll make more money from it, you know? So yeah. I, I calling it a concept album as a way of making it more special or trying to carve out more space for it and in terms of its significance, I think that's unnecessary. I think it can stand on its own merit as a breakup album. Or as Frank Sinatra's Hey Bitches, I'm Back album, you know, Elton John reference aside, uh, it doesn't have to be the, the genesis of concept albums for it to, to matter to me. No, Robert Dimery does consider it that. Our godfather uh, of the show considers it to be. Yeah, but he didn't put numbers next to his album. So what the hell does he know? He, well, what does he know? I it is the first in the book, Because too. like six years from now, I might try to be getting an interview with him. So. <laughs> Robbie, we need you. Uh, let's see. So we, we, we talked about owning this on vinyl. So yes, folks, I think that you should definitely listen. I, I say listen often, as often as you want. But purchasing, that's a no for me. David, what, what about listening? What about times of, of frequency of listening? Is this a once in a while or is this a throw it on every rainy day for you? I mean, I think a lot of my albums are throw it on for every rainy day. Like, you know I mean? I feel like a lot of my albums to keep them fresh especially like having a record collection you try to switch it up sure or you put like you pull five that you listen to in rotation heavy rotation for like a week or something like that i don't know what your system is but um, yeah that's pretty that's pretty much it we haven't so yeah because like it's been in my rotation since i knew this was coming up but i for the last week and and i'll you know put it back into the yeah the rest of the shelf but yeah i think i I listen to it a couple times a year for sure Nice. Well, it's, kind of, for, it's got a very specific 
Sorry. No, <laughs> go ahead. Very, just, it's, just it's got a very along here, David. It's got a very specific purpose, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it's functional as well as enjoyable. It's, <laughs> it's like a nice kitchen appliance. Uh, as I was saying, folks, just welcome back to the show. It's like we just came back from a commercial break from our very long Christmas winter break thing. We're so glad to be back. We are going to start churning out more episodes as as time allows, but no promises, right, Dave? You know, yeah, because we, we're not we do it as we can. It's whenever we feel like it. God damn it! I <laughs> wasn't going to be as harsh. You come in real hot there, Dave. Yeah. Uh, but our next episode is actually going to be a rather special episode because David and I like to we like to challenge ourselves. We like to stretch our music tastes. So we've swapped albums and we're going to give each one a listen and uh, a, a quick review in our special challenge episode. David, what are we listening to? Well, we, we had to choose out for this challenge. We had a, we wanted to do albums that we're pretty sure you maybe at first would not listen to. <laughs> like, like unless I gave it to you, you would not listen to it. So that was like one thing to find, right? That is correct. And also we wanted it to be an album that wasn't on this list. So it was totally random. Um, so, and also obviously one that you've never listened to before you're, you know. So my challenge to you, which we had planned this a while ago and we before we found out that he died, but my challenge to you is to listen to Mm, food by mf doom it is one of my favorite albums he is if you haven't um there's some really great pieces on mf doom if you haven't read they came out um tani sukotes is one of them wrote a really great piece on him um but i really hope you're i mean you're not the biggest hip-hop fan i'm not but i always give it a, a fair shake and i there's hip-hop that i love it just depends on the style of the artist so We'll see. So hopefully, I'll give it a fair shake. I, you know, we're going into this with clear eyes and full hearts. So what are you? What are you challenging me to uh, listen to? The folks at home know that, especially in the the winter times, I love to listen to the National because they're all about grayness and and sadness. So, uh, so I've challenged young David here to listen to 2013's "Trouble Will Find Me" by the National. Which is maybe not even my favorite national album, but I think it is one of it is maybe their best album. Interesting. So I want you to you listen know, to it. And those of you that know me personally know that know that he looks this, just like the lead singer. And well, okay, that's not what I was gonna say. I was gonna say that this this challenge has been a long time coming. <laughs> it has. I've been waiting. I made the I I pitched the idea of the podcast to David so that three years later, when we actually started the podcast, I could surprise attack him with this particular challenge. This is a long con of the great. Can't wait. Can't wait. All right. Well, hopefully you're no longer late to the party when it comes to one of Frank Sinatra's greatest works in the wee wee small hours of the morning. I'm Brandon. David's over there somewhere. I haven't seen him in quite some time. There he is. Uh, We'll see you next time, folks. See ya. (laughs) Bye. Stepping over your lines. You're a delightful audience, ladies and gentlemen. I thank you. And I hope this doesn't come as a severe shock, but I'm through. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, it's boozing time. One more what? I'm going to the bar. (laughs) I'll be saying that to the, the waiter in a minute. One more, please. Hey, drink up all you.
order anything you see and have fun you happy people the drink and the laughs on me